0: How do you do? The box office pulp board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the Internet. Analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you it might even horrify you so if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain now's your chance to well we've warned you now to pause and refresh for your convenience we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby With buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice-cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy.
1: Ah! Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, Madness Moxie, and tonight, Miniature Murder Dolls. Since we've got the Child's Play remake hitting theaters, we figured it's the perfect time to go back and appreciate the OG Chucky and do a bop in a movie for Child's Play numero uno i'm your host cody and joining me today for this bop in a movie are my co-host mike say hello mike i prefer devil doll and jamie i'm jammer and jamie and i hate you sounds about right Jammerin's
2: a good word that yeah that was actually some pretty good vocab there gold star <laughs> Jammerin' is an awesome word it needs to come back
1: i feel like all killer dolls should really be alliterative because that seems like a very you know cutesy doll thing Talky Tina, like, that's the only one I can think of offhand, but it's a missed opportunity. Amblin, I, Annabelle, come on, they should all be like that.
3: I like this. Also, can I just say, fuck puppetry? Yet I respect <laughs> it, but
2: fuck
1: Not puppetry. <laughs> I didn't, okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to go explore this avenue. Why Why fuck puppetry, Mike?
3: I, it's, you know what, some arts should be lost to time, and the art of puppetry has come and gone.
1: Was, is it I, just ventriloquist dummies that, like, freak you out? Or is it Muppets? Or, like, what are you no, not? No,
3: ventriloquism, I find to be a fine act. I think that's good. I think it has its place. Perfect. Particularly in creepy European dolls. But the art of puppetry. Puppets. Puppets on strings. Dancing and shit. That needs to go away. <laughs> that's done. Fuck so marionettes what you're, you're
1: angry at. Specifically marionettes.
3: Specifically marionettes, but uh, other pers- forms of puppets too. Muppets are okay, so but I've seen a lot of puppets, puppets cool. lately. Um, hand puppets or anything else, talking puppets. Ventriloquism is different. You know, you got it's it's all right there on the stage. There's a back and forth. I like it. I like the act. I like the comedy that could come from it. Puppets, <laughs> puppetry. I do not like puppetry. I'm exposed to a lot of puppetry lately. Fuck puppetry, and especially like dangling marionettes and shit, fuck marionettes unless you're doing a throwback I do not want to be ever walking down the goddamn street and see a little cardboard box open up with marionettes <laughs> dancing and there's clockwork wh- and there's just shit
0: No, no one does, no one, no. does no one does
2: Is this your death wish? Are you gonna see that one day <laughs> just pull out your shotgun and blow everybody away? <laughs>
3: Mind you, I have never walked down the street and come across this, and thank God for that.
1: (laughs) Folks, if I can reveal how the bread is made, we we had an intro for this that didn't make it for technical reasons, and there was a very different rant that started this out. And now Mike, just on the spot, broke my mind and started bitching about puppets, and it's pretty fantastic. So thank (laughs) God for technology not always working, because sometimes you (laughs) get little gifts.
3: To be fair, we this, to is the, this was at the forefront puppets. <laughs> this was the forefront of my mind, so the odds <laughs> of me going into a rant about puppetry at some point was pretty high.
1: For like two weeks, you've just been sitting there with a pencil in your hand, just scribbling in a notebook. Puppets, 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 puppets. Everything. strings, we're all puppets on strings. Dance, little man. That's enough humor. I think we can start the show now. <laughs> so, folks, if you want to join us for child's play with a drink in hand. I've got what is liquid for you. Uh, I call it the D-virgined peach bellini. So the idea was I looked up mock cocktails. So I found a version of a peach bellini that didn't have any alcohol. And then I reverse engineered it. Like I didn't know how to make a peach bellini. I'm like, what if I just add my own alcohol to this to make it back into an alcoholic drink? So we we virginized an alcoholic drink and then de-virginized it to get to a bastardized version of a peach bellini. So if you want to make this... And you're going to need two medium peaches that are peeled and diced, uh, about three-fourths cup ginger ale, a quarter cup of whatever berries you have, be they blueberries, raspberries, or strawberries, or a mix of all of them. A fourth cup isn't that big, though, so I, I just go with one. Uh, two ounces peach snops, and two ounces Cointreau. Uh, you're going to puree the berries and peaches, then you're going to fill... A champagne flute, or in this case, a creature from the Black Lagoon tiki mug, about a quarter full, and then you're gonna top that with ginger ale and uh, more peach schnapps to taste. So uh, let's this thing really foamed up. <laughs> so I, I've been drinking foam for the last couple of minutes. Let's see what the actual <laughs> drink tastes like. All right. Hmm. If you like peaches, this is your thing this is this is very, very peachy <laughs> uh it's kind of weird because like with the the soda, it kind of turned to like a phloam
0: <laughs>
1: oh, good, <laughs> so that's interesting um
2: no-, no I, nothing should ever have the consistency of phloam that's going into your stuff, yeah, I yeah.
1: agree, I like the taste the texture's god awful um,
2: it just seems like it's going to expand inside of you as you sleep. I
1: very well may explode during this commentary. <laughs>
2: So enjoy uh, I, that,
3: folks at home. I have a separate
1: jar that's just the uh, no soda added booze and and fruit. Let me let me take a sip of that. Oh God, no, that's worse. It's Good. it's like I was drinking, just like pouring yogurt out of a cup into my face. It just came in one blob. It was like gak more than phloem All right, don't don't make this one at home, folks. Just make a real goddamn peach Bellini with with <laughs> champagne.
2: I'm so glad you don't try these beforehand. Wait, is that our first official don't try this, folks, at home?
1: Like, it's got a good taste. I just wish it didn't. (laughs) I'm
0: I'm trying. It has a good taste.
2: I just wish it wasn't this drink. I'm not letting this go. You just gave our first anti-recipe. Yeah,
1: I mean, you can make it to people you don't like. The taste is, I think, very good.
2: Yeah. That's right. Arch, by the way, making a bad drinks for people you don't want over.
1: <laughs> there you go. So the idea here, folks, if you've never had a Bellini, is they're kind of like a, a twist on the mimosa. Uh, so my my idea here was, you know, we'd make a kiddie version of this and then add the alcohol back in. And that would kind of mimic the idea of Chucky, like he's a fun, friendly kids doll. No, he wants to murder you. Uh, also peach. So it's kind of orange. This was a bit of a swing and a miss, though, but uh, I'm going to have to drink my mistakes. I'm glad you're sticking with it. Uh, I can never abandon this. I didn't bring a backup booze. All right. So now that I've had that egg on my face, or should I say peach, we're going to start the movie. Mike's going to count us down, and uh, we're going to talk over it. That's how commentaries work. So you have the choice at home, folks, the freedom to watch along with us with your own copy of Child's Play or just listen to us as a normal podcast i'm not your dad i can't do anything to stop you i don't even know where you live do what you want mike are you ready to count us down
3: i am ready do it to it one two three you know what else i hate about puppets everything they're too easy like oh, we need content where it's like we need like uh something whimsical or uh, you know something to entertain. That's 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 kind of on the whimsical side or have a back and forth with. Let's just throw a fucking puppet in there. We can just, just you know get some fi- faux fur, throw it on a doll or something, and boom, we got like a talking fucking bear.
2: It's essentially a do-it-yourself cartoon.
3: I hate it. Like it's just anybody can do it, and that's why I hate it.
1: I just never – Mike, anyone can make a podcast, too,
3: and many of us do. Yeah, and look at box office pulp. Look at the That's... drink you just made.
1: <laughs> I went to extra effort Mike, to make that drink. <laughs> All right, folks, let's, let's get some child's play facts down. One, directed by Tom I'm, – I'm not going to number these. Ignore I said one. Chucky Facts. Directed by Tom – Chucky Facts, directed by Tom Holland. Uh, Holland, kind of it ignored figure from horror history dude wrote psycho 2, scream for help cloak and dagger uh the fright night remake he actually had a hand in yep he directed thinner the original fright night uh a couple tales from the crypt episodes including lover come hack to me four-sided triangle and king of the road
2: uh i'm very impressed that he directed king of the road i so was i I knew you'd get a kick out of that one fucking uh, greaser brad pitt is a man <laughs> who likes speed too much.
1: We've got our screenplay by Don Mancini, John Lafia, and Tom Holland. Mancini is kind of another horror guru we don't spend a lot of time discussing, mostly because, like, he is the Child's Play franchise. But he's done more than that. Uh, Let's see. He's helped produce, supervise, write episodes of Channel Zero, which is a fantastic show if you haven't checked that out and are into, like, anthology horror. Uh, And he was also producer for Hannibal, the TV show. So... (laughs) I would kill for that kind of background. That's fantastic. Cast-wise, we've got Alex Vincent as Andy Barkley, Catherine Hicks as Karen Barkley, Chris Sarandon as Detective Mike Norris, and Brad Dourif as Charles Lee, uh, you know, the Chucky. (laughs) Why were you hung up on the name Ray? Uh, I I wrote his lay in my notes. I'm like, that is clearly not right. And I wasn't smart enough to just correct it on the fly.
2: Charles oh Lee Lay. Charles Lee Lay. Oh, yeah. That's in the, that's in the porn parody. Fucky.
1: <laughs> We're not talking yeah, about puppets but- anymore. You guys are terrible when it comes to puppets. <laughs> All the content <laughs> is fucked. <laughs> Our music is by Joe Rinzetti. A uh, little fun fact. Rinzetti has an Oscar for Best Adapted Score for The Buddy Holly Story in 1978, and he also has a Razzie for Under the Rainbow in 1981. Our cinematography is from Bill Butler. Butler's kind of a big deal. He shot Jaws, Rocky II, III, IV, Anaconda, Hot Shots, Grease, a bunch of other stuff, and probably the biggest thing of his career, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, which got him a nomination for Best Cinematography in 1975. That's even more impressive because he stepped in to film that. The original DP was fired, and he had to rush in. See, we've got this thing released November 9th, 1988. Budget was $9 million. Worldwide box office, $44.2 million, which doesn't seem like much. But hey, we've got seven Child's Play movies so far uh, with a remake that's coming out now and an upcoming TV show, all in the same continuity except for the remake. Which,
3: that's pretty damn impressive. And those have been Chucky Facts. Um, I vote to rename it Good Guy Facts, actually. And those have been Good Guy Facts. Cool.
0: Wouldn't well, it be amazing
1: if there.
2: that's what killed him?
3: <laughs> oh, <laughs> the weight of all those Commercialization.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the theme, it's getting to me.
2: I love the look of understanding in Dorof's face in this moment.
1: It's very much like the Grinch when he understands what he needs to do to
2: steal Christmas.
3: <laughs> do you uh, um even though this isn't a Christmas movie, does anybody else consider this a Christmas horror movie? Christmas.
2: Unofficially, yeah. It's very it's, very yeah. appropriate. It's it's set during winter.
1: That actually brings me to one of my comparisons. I saw a preview last night of the Child's Play remake, which is also set around Christmas time but it's, it's in like somewhere west coast, so instead of snow, they just get rain, which is such a bummer, because in this movie, I love that there's snow and there's a Chicago winter that you have to go through. It adds so much to the identity
3: of the movie. Oh, yeah, there's uh, there's something kind of... Uh, there's a brutalization to the city in this that um, I think really adds to, that, to the tone. And I love the contrast,
1: too. When you think Chicago, you do think of those tough, cold winters. You think of basically like Ditka dudes walking around with big, bushy mustaches, burly guys who drink a lot to survive the winter. And the ultimate enemy they thought of to go against those, that worldview is a two-foot doll ginger killer. (laughs) Like, it's just such
3: a weird juxtaposition between what you expect in the setting and what you get as the monster. And you have a child, you know, as the main character walking around kind of that environment. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's just so a kid, has, right? Like, we're the
1: yeah. L unsupervised.
3: So it has this a- element of almost otherworldly danger to it. Also, yeah, uh, 80s horror movies and voodoo in the beginning just go hand in hand, and I love it. I know, right?
1: I mean, it's already kind of a funky concept, like, oh, killer doll that stabs people. Let's add a further twist to that, and just layer some voodoo magic on top of everything else, and the doll is slowly becoming human itself.
2: There's so many layers upon layers in this movie about a toy that stabs people. (laughs) Have you guys been fascinated as to what the hell the plot of this show is? What could it be? My toys?
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, but there had to be like some sort
2: of bad guy in here, right? There's a good guy. There's got to be a bad guy. And why are why is there justified a, leg, a legion of Chucky dolls that all have different names but look the same?
1: Whatever this show is, it must be huge because we've got pajamas, we've got a cereal, we've got a TV show, we've got the dolls. This thing was a phenomenon.
2: Yeah, it was something that was uh, very important to them in the making of the movie. Just without ever saying it aloud in dialogue, establishing just through world building that the good guy brand is planet Earth in the universe that this movie takes place in. Like, this is full Cabbage Patch fever. I was going to say, it did remind me quite a bit of my
1: childhood. Just different crazes, uh Pokemon in specific, like, Pokemon was everywhere when I was growing up. There were all the video games and the toys and the TV show, and I would probably kill for Charizard. So this makes sense. Andy's just so amazed by this horrific doll. <laughs> There's like a thirty foot tall Chucky monster inside there.
3: Like,
2: That's yeah! the scariest
3: thing in this movie. It really is. Yeah, I, have a, I have a quick question. It doesn't really have much to do with Child's Play, which isn't helpful for this commentary, but. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day when I was using a toaster, which is what is movies and TV's obsession with children and people who don't cook very often not knowing how to use a toaster and starting a fire and or burning toast, even as a child? it's
2: you really just not, press not a hard. button.
1: Toasters it's not are autopilot.
3: Hard. Like, unless you're fucking with the knob, you
1: know, they don't just go forever.
2: Yeah, that which? seems to be the implication in all of those scenes. They turn the knob way up. Even though if you are touching the knob, you have some degree of toaster experience. I'm sorry.
1: I I agree. I think it's silly. It's one of those movie things. They're like, oh, it's cute. He burns the toast. No, this takes me out of the film. I can accept the killer doll. I cannot accept the burnt toast.
2: Oh, the worst thing about uh, related that movie history is John Goodman ripping up his socks in the dryer in Coyote Ugly.
1: (laughs) Oh, here's one that really annoyed me the other day. I was watching the Poughkeepsie tapes. And and there's one segment where a child is abducted and you hear the nine one one call the mom makes and the nine one one operator goes, I'm sorry, ma'am, we can't help you until twenty-four hours has passed, which I'm sitting at home going, No, I'm pretty sure if someone attacks your child, they just send a cop right out. They don't go like, We'll file a report in twenty four hours. That's what someone on T V once said.
2: Hey, it's the Poughkeepsie tapes. That nine one one operator was probably the killer. There's a <laughs> no. good chance. He's <laughs> just God in that, that movie. movie. I am very fascinated in the way this movie plays with wholesomeness. Yeah. We're talking about how, how aesthetically pleasing the the urban environment is in this movie and what a brilliant choice it was to set it in Chicago. It's it's funny to think, at this time, this was when suburban horror was huge. This was prime uh, babysitter slumber party. Uh, era horror and it seems to be a very deliberate attempt to move this story away from all that and set it in a very grimy oppressive urban environment which is perfect for a story about what at the time was a very non-traditional family a you know single mother working at at a department store having her friend babysit the kid, it's very not what was on television at the time.
3: Yeah.
1: Kind of like the Ground too for Candyman, which I think very maybe much does so. it a little bit more successfully.
2: Oh, yeah. It's very much in the same wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I like the idea. like that. I feel it adds so much weight to the purchase of the doll because it's never really said out loud, but you get the feeling that... Karen is just trying to give Andy some kind of normal nuclear family childhood by getting this goddamn doll for him. Like, I'm going to give you one thing that's innocent and be. (laughs) This was really the first movie. Like I can recall about toys like the first horror movie about toys set after toys changed forever when the kids played with to being stuff that was shoved down their throats by corporations like it's kind of the ultimate betrayal
1: that's a good point when did we start getting toys as evil it had to have been around
2: this point roughly right I really think it was deregulation. Like I think Chucky pretty much yeah. kicked it off. Yeah. I
1: mean, it was... When uh, fuck, when did uh, Poultry Guys come out?
3: Uh, mid uh, I just want to take a quick second to say, uh, folks at home, there was if you see a bl- if there if you hear a blank spot, Jamie's talking. Um, I don't know if it will be in the recording or not. Jamie's talking and then kind of goes out and there's a blank spot for a couple seconds. Uh, I'm aware of it. Uh, there was technical uh difficulty. I think with the uh, connection of the recorder or something. So I, I I apologize, but hopefully, um, hopefully the recorder still caught everything. But we'll see.
2: I rarely say anything important at school.
0: It wasn't that also, long. This but fucking
2: was... guy. De, de, His bow tie. Delightful the bow shape tie. of him. The glasses. What a Random ass legend. cartoon character. Mm.
1: I distrust him immediately. But to go back to the idea of deregulation and toys, uh, Poltergeist is one of the earlier ones, too, that really has scary toys. Not that they're necessarily trying to make a theme on that, because I think they're kind of focused on, you know, they yeah. had that opening with the television and all that kind of stuff. I think their focus was a slightly different area of the American society at that point. But that was 1982, so just before this, I think maybe Poltergeist is one of those originators of the idea that something as friendly as a clown doll might really be out there to murder
2: you. And even Poltergeist has Reagan shit thrown into it. Oh, for sure. And it's about the evil evil of suburbia. Hey, we literally put our McNeighborhood on top of graves. Yeah. (laughs) And you didn't ask for that, but the people who built all this did it, and now you have to deal with that.
1: I want to point out, we've already mentioned Chicago a bunch of times, but I'm still going to keep harping on it. Look at Andy. He has a goddamn football, like, snowsuit on, which is perfect (laughs) because I'm pretty sure everyone raised in, like, Chicago and Wisconsin and probably most of Minnesota feels the same way about football. It's the only thing to care about when it turns, like, 30 below. Winter hits and you just cling to football because it's the only thing that will bring you joy in those frozen years.
2: Anything that can get hundreds of people out to a stadium in the middle of a snowstorm is a miracle.
1: I went to a game once, it was 10 below. My god, you survived.
0: (laughs) It was so cold, they couldn't
1: really kick the football. Like, it didn't go anymore when they hit it. It was like hitting a rock. (laughs) It went into overtime, so we had to stay there for like an extra hour. (laughs) I couldn't feel anything.
2: So I love... uh his workman outfit that has a different good guy logo on it. I've always been obsessed with that.
1: Let's uh, talk a little bit about the look of Chucky himself, not just his outfits, but to start, Chucky isn't really that creepy. I mean, when he turns man. his head and stuff, that's creepy. But when, when he's a stationary doll that's not talking, he looks pretty close to like a Cabbage Patch Kid. There's nothing yeah. outwardly scary about that doll, which is very brilliant because it makes the twist later on when he comes to life all the more effective. And if, they, if I was going to criticize the new child's play, he looks very creepy. The, oh, the doll is creepy from step yeah. one. They kind of laugh about that the entire movie, but it, it's a little bit of a cheat. Like, they couldn't find a good design, so they went with something spooky and just ran with it. This one, they put in the effort to make this seem like a viable toy before
2: turning it into a monster. Yeah, you get so used to Monster Chucky in the later films, you forget. Mm-hmm. He's just literally just a Cabbage Patch doll in the first movie. Yeah. Until, like, the last 30 minutes.
3: (laughs) And it allows them to uh, very slightly alter his face throughout the movie until it becomes more and more human-like the longer he's in the doll.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until looking at the different animatronics that they use that I realized just how subtle the changes were. Like, the final doll not having freckles and stuff like that. And just changes in skin tone.
3: And going back to the um some of the themes uh of like urban horror and and stuff to this day, urban horror or even uh horror that utilizes low income uh families and and people is so untapped like there's still only a there's very few uh i would categorize as urban horror films and even fewer. Or you see people on the lower or income class actually be the figures of the horror, and they're very whenever they do pop up. Um, people on the stairs did this very well. Whenever they do pop up, to me, it's it's some of the most prevalent pieces of horror. Um. And some of the best stories, I think, come out of that because it's so untapped and because they play into so many uh, classic horror themes. And I don't know why it's uh, kind of been left left so untapped at this point, especially in this day and age where you think everything would would gravitate towards there.
1: I think part of the problem is Hollywood is just, in general, terrible at portraying areas that aren't
3: like New York or Hollywood. Everyone lives in a mansion, right?
1: That, that's oh. kind of the thing. If you ever see a movie about poor people, they don't know the numbers at all. Like, it's weird. You see like, oh, this is a small town of only 60,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And it's like, they oh, only have-.
2: have four Starbucks, the Rubes.
1: I was about to make the same joke. Like, oh, man, look at these poor people. They only have like 15 McDonald's. Like They, they just don't ever quite nail what it's like to live in small town nowhere or places that are really struggling.
2: Oh, my favorite is the mansion the family and Shameless lives in. Yeah, but they they put dishes in the sink and there's clothes on the floor, so they're poor. Right, it's one of those things like dirty, always, dirty means poor, right? That's what that means. Yeah, or like
1: always sunny, where apparently they're surviving on like crumbs, except for Frank. But they all have, you know, like Patty's pub is actually a really big goddamn bar. <laughs> I will they have say blocked to themselves.
2: I will say in that in defense of that show, they are all very stupid with their money. Very true. And conceivably still addicted to crack from season one. That was yeah. it's never been said they don't still smoke. They crack. have they
1: have moments in that show where it's like, oh yeah, that's definitely like poor, grimy life. <laughs> like Frank and Charlie living on one one mattress kind of stuff. Like, yep, okay, that seems like they're getting towards it.
2: Honestly, what I think one of the biggest contributors to that is there's just been a lot of whitewashing of that stuff in general in our culture since the 80s. Oh yeah, like it. It was very weird going through the recession in the 2000s, and all anyone was talking about beyond the war on terror was the recession, and you didn't see that anywhere. <laughs> that was very weird to live through. Even way- in that time, they just did not want to show poor people in anything.
1: Talking about not seeing things. I love that they start Chucky out with POV shots because you just saw a brief glimpse of a guy in a costume running down the hall, and that's not great. It gets it done, but it's not great. Whereas the POV shots allow you to use your imagination like, you know, it's the killer doll. It works and, so much better that way.
3: And that came from after a, after a test screening. You originally saw Chucky super early. He was all over the movie. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the I think it was forget who, one of the producers um, wanted Chucky to be more like the, the Shark and Jaws. Like, you catch glimpses of him here and there, you got a lot of POV stuff, just to maybe plant some doubt in, in the audience's mind and and whatnot. And apparently, yeah, that was the better way to go.
1: Oh, I, mean, I we I, do
3: I, get good shots later on the doll and stuff, and it
1: moving the puppetry, the animatronics. Oh yeah, but I, I think if we're overexposed to it, it'd become
3: very clunky and laughable. It would be very uh, goofy up quick uh, up front if you just had an entire movie where you just saw the doll. It's different in the sequels once you're kind of used to it, but yeah,
2: and it's a big difference when it's Monster Chucky and not Cabbage Patch Chucky. Yeah, with the squeaky high-pitched voice he was supposed to have for the entire film. <laughs> I would give anything to watch the original silly cut of this movie that tanked that's two hours long and has, like, weird wink-at-the-camera jokes and Chucky's voiced by Lucille Bluth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be a really interesting, like, undirector's
3: cut to watch sometime. And to this day, uh, the first Child's Play does not get enough credit for Despite being a killer doll movie, being effective still.
1: Oh, this scene is phenomenal, uh, especially the death here when Chucky finally strikes. That shit is brutal. The hammer blow isn't exceedingly graphic. It's pretty brief, but it really gets the point across of what a just absolutely brutal murder this is. And when she falls out of the window, it's an absolutely beautiful shot. This is This is really serious, great horror, despite it being a killer doll. Yeah. I, I would say this is actually the highlight of probably the entire series in my mind. This this particular scene we're watching, not to not to make fun of the rest of Child's Play, because I do enjoy it, but I think this scene right here nails everything about the series.
2: Oh, this scene is like the Rosetta Stone. I feel like all the other movies have to look back on to decide like what is the series.
3: It's it to me, it's this scene and the scene later when Chucky finally talks, the you bitch scene. Oh yeah. Which, even that scene is effective. Like, you have a doll suddenly start talking, and it's chilling. It's like, it's terrifying.
2: Yeah, that's really my only criticism about this film, is, could you imagine how effective it would be if you had never seen the opening? Yeah. With Ray like, getting killed? They cut out all, even the little quick shots of the doll looking at the TV and moving, and that scene is the first time you see Chucky move.
3: Yeah, I, I would like I to see like a version of that where that's here. more of a flashback, kind of in the middle of the film once you bring Chris Sarandon in. does have mm-hmm. all the news footage and whatnot, like you can piece it back, you can piece it all together.
2: I'm curious, have either of you guys, I'm going to assume this answer is no, because it's this movie, but have you seen a Pinocchio's Revenge? No. I have not. That's like a uh, a, probably direct-to-VHS child's play knockoff that came out in, uh, I want to say, the mid-'90s. And against all odds, it's actually really, really good. And it's basically this movie, but you never see the doll. And at the end, it's just revealed the kid's the killer. Uh, Of course. Children are always the real horror. But the doll is still possessed and is just telling him to kill. Ah, and there's this entire uh, internal mythology that like links it to Son of Sam and shit. <laughs> this network of demons provoking serial killers through influence.
1: This is very involved. I, yeah, I was not expecting that to go that way at all. So we, we just passed by it, but the babysitter falls in slow motion through the snow, and then we get a normal speed shot of her crashing into that truck and dying gorgeous shot and right there i think that justifies everything about the location right there even if you didn't use it for anything else just having her falling between that kind of classic old school apartment architecture the snow swirling around her as she falls beautiful that's oh man i wish we got
2: more movies set in winter because that was just just delightful oh winter horror Uh, movies are like king crab like Like, fishermen may die retrieving it, but it's worth it.
1: (laughs) So, the first time I was exposed to Child's Play, I I came into the series pretty late, like, well after, you know, most of the movies were out. I remember as a kid, my bus driver had the novelization of Child's Play 2, which, if you've seen the cover for that, it's like something out of uh, Paperbacks from Hell.
2: It's it looks ch- like a Goosebumps cover, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's Chucky with a giant pair of scissors about to snip the head off of Jack in the Box. But the Jack in the Box is, like, making a terrified face at, at you.
2: And because the top it, says, too, is sentient somehow?
1: Yeah, it's a Toy Story situation. Uh, and it just says, Sorry, Jack, Chucky's back! But I, I had no idea what Child's Play was as a child. I'm just, like, a little kid on a bus, and the bus driver has this like, sitting up on top of the, the bus dashboard. So I would see it like every time I got on and off the bus, because apparently the bus driver read it like two pages a year. (laughs) So I had a long time to just be frightened of this poster and not know what the hell Child's Play really was. So imagine my surprise when I found out it was about
2: voodoo all those years later. (laughs) (laughs) You hear the same reaction to the Jaws franchise. (laughs) So I love the idea of that being somebody's book for a summer. (laughs) Not even Child's Play, Child's Play 2.
1: Child's Play 2. I don't, yeah, I specifically remember I had to look it up, because so I'm like, it'd make more sense if it was 1. But no, this was 2. I get, and this was like mid-90s, so Child's Play 2 had been out for a few years. I I really don't understand why either.
2: Oh, well, who am I to judge? Let the bus driver read what she wants. Uh, just going into the cast for a minute I love Sarandon here anchoring this movie with a performance from a completely different movie (laughs) doesn't he feel like he should be investigating a mystery in a Larry Cohen movie yeah (laughs) it's little touches like that that keep this movie from delving into self parody immediately which it very easily could have
3: I can't believe I'm about to say that say this but the characters in this movie act and react logically. Yeah, in a way you don't see it in a lot of horror movies. Like I, the, I, I like the greatness of not believing the kid, thinking the kid's insane, but then the the, the slow realization and then actually considering it seriously when That's it starts the, to dawn what? on them that that Chucky is actually alive.
1: Yeah, that's that's the fun thing. Once uh, Detective Norris is convinced Chucky is the killer, he does not doubt himself at all. He's like, the doll came to life. I've got to stop him. <laughs> he doesn't even worry about telling other people that. He's like, no, for real, it's a doll. We got to stop it. Which I like. Like once he has the evidence, he's just oh, okay. I'll figure out an explanation later. This is the situation. I have to stop this thing.
3: Yeah, usually it's you're still in the last fifteen minutes, and one of the main characters still does not believe in the supernatural bullshit. Hmm.
1: Well, as long as we're talking about Sarandon. I wonder how hard it is to get cast to sign on to a movie with this premise. Like, okay, Uh, we have this low-budget horror movie where a voodoo curse allows a murderer to hide inside the body of a doll and then stab people to death. Do you want to sign on? Like, I imagine that's a hard sell to anyone who's kind of established in Hollywood. But they got pretty good talent here. Uh, Catherine Hicks would go on to a lot more fame in Seventh Heaven. But she still isn't ashamed of this series at all. Like she provided one of the commentary tracks for the movie and like, seems like she still enjoyed her time on the set and had no regrets doing the film at all. Uh, Chris Sarandon, I mean, that guy did all sorts of different kind of wacky stuff. So he seemed like he was just game for an interesting movie.
2: Well, that's what's interesting. They, like they were aware of the movie they were filming, but as far as their day-to-day experience went, They were kind of just making look who's talking for most of the shoot, (laughs) because there's really very little with them and the doll up until the third act. So that's that's a fair point. They just played it like they were just in a romantic comedy about a single mother and her kid and a handsome cop who flirts with her. Which I think is is part of the genius of this film structurally. How it kind of is a family film. (laughs) like the first 20 minutes until things start to escalate
3: yeah mm-hmm.
1: i also wanted to point out here that uh a couple of fun facts about our actors and actresses Catherine hicks was also in star trek 4 the voyage home forgot about that completely until i looked this up on imdb and Boy, I forget about all the different things that Chris Sarandon was in. Like, he was in The Sentinel, Dog Day Afternoon, the original Fright Night, obviously, The Princess Bride. Those are two of his really big ones. He was also, you know, the voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. He was but Pornillo, not his singing voice. Not his singing important. voice. He voiced someone in Nazca, The Valley of the Wind. Like, dude had a very interesting, varied career. He did a lot of cool stuff.
2: And he's an adventurous guy, like, not afraid to just do anything. Yeah. I imagine getting him to sign on was not difficult, considering the last time he worked with this director, he was a fucking hairy chested love god. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can be Dandridge again. No, oh,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> very <laughs> no, weird thing. When I was on Wikipedia looking Stranded up, I found out he's seventy six years old. But if you looked at his wiki picture, goddamn, you would not know it. He looks like a younger man.
2: No, especially with the beard and shit.
1: Yeah, with the salt and pepper beard. That dude does not look like he's that into 60 or anything. No way I would have guessed 76 years old. Good for you, Chris Sarandon. You're in better health than me, probably.
2: Here's a question. Does prime Chris Sarandon look like he was born to play Prince Charming in an Into the Woods movie? Ooh, that could work.
1: He seems like the kind of guy that if you could get him to pack on a lot of muscle, like if you just loaded him up on steroids, he could be like an opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger as like the smarmy, like alternate Lord Olympian that he has
3: to fight.
2: Oh my God, Mike, could you imagine this Sarandon as the Punisher?
3: Ooh, damn, that actually is really good casting.
2: He's got the jaw for it. He looks just like 80s comic book Punisher. Yeah. He,
3: he can give you an evil sneer
2: when he wants to. He's got the voice. Especially his affected uh, Chicago accent in this that I love. Oh, oh yeah. Man, that was if, we we love to past,
1: if we just murder his family in the past, we could make this happen.
2: Good. Let's do first it.
3: Documentary.
2: Damn it, Cody. Stop using alternate timelines to create the Punisher.
3: <laughs> can there and be an animated, animated Punisher. Punisher movie now where we have and play the Punisher?
0: I can
1: uh, still do it. Kind of like Return of the Cape Crusader. Like, it doesn't matter. We can just draw this guy as young Batman.
2: Throw the doll away, kid. He's poison. <laughs> I love the moment in uh, one of the Child's Play commentaries where. Uh, they're briefly talking about the Anthony Hopkins movie Magic, and Mancini is sure to bring up. No, it is. This is absolutely because of Magic. <laughs> the doll, the doll is bigger than Andy because of Magic. <laughs> like, I I love how there's a lineage of images and themes that connect all Killer Doll movies.
3: <laughs> I like to think they all take place in the same universe. Honestly,
2: oh fucking correct me if I'm wrong. You mentioned Candyland earlier. I have a theory that this shocker at Wishmaster and all Clive Barker movies take place in the same universe.
1: I mean, the Clive Barker one makes sense, because he kind of writes them that way in the first place. And considering the
3: number of fucked up things in his universe of stories, why not? It could have all sorts of things in there. That's true. Now, here's a question. Can we connect horror movies where Ted Raimi dies, and that's just one family?
2: I I always think of that as alternate timelines.
3: I could see that. I don't know, I just like the idea of one family where, like, it's just a series of brothers and they all look like Ted Raimi and they all die in horrific scenarios.
2: There's just 30 of them.
1: The Raimi genes are pretty strong. The Raimis all look fairly similar. Yeah, it's disturbing. I don't like it. <laughs> so, is that why you want to murder them all?
3: As bad as puppetry uh, look,
2: look, I just want to live in a world where Horace Pinker and Charles Lee Ray exchanged voodoo secrets in their cells.
1: <laughs> where did Shocker take place? That was um
3: was that a California movie? Shocker takes place in its own little place. <laughs>
2: it play it's small town u s a
3: There's a city there's suburbia, there's also a small town. It doesn't make any fucking sense. There's a lake. See, that's
1: that's one of the things that bums me out about a lot of films in general. There's no hardcore sense of place. Like, they just kind of are like, oh, it's supposed to be New York, but we filmed it in Canada because it was cheaper and we're, we just kind of claimed that it's all fine. We're going to keep harp- harping, uh, harping. Blah. On the fact that this is Chicago, because goddamn, does it feel like Chicago? If you've ever gone to Chicago in the winter, all these years later, this doesn't seem that far off. The trains aren't that different. You still see the loop. The loop hasn't really changed all that much.
2: Yeah, Chicago just looks like it's always 1982. Yeah.
1: There's some nicer parts of Chicago. They've gentrified a lot of pieces of it, but you still find some of this kind of stuff around. And this movie does not shy away from the fact this is hardcore Chicago. I love that. It it just feels so much more real to me, and it's exciting. Probably because I'm from the Midwest, so to see one of my cities represented is super exciting. But I just enjoy how unique it makes the movie.
2: I mean, God, look at uh, It Follows and how much just being shot in Detroit added to that movie aesthetically. Like, it's 100%. amazing that... It's amazing that more horror directors don't take advantage of that stuff. It's free for set dressing.
1: Right. Or Evil Dead has so much of its identity because they went to Tennessee and just filmed there. Everything was pretty much filmed in the woods of Tennessee. It feels right, and it has its own unique idea because it's not like 30 different locations kind of jumbled together. Audiences can't tell in the moment, but your brain's smart enough to realize, like, "Uh, something about this doesn't add up.
2: Oh, get out! Just being Alabama is one of the strongest things about that movie.
3: <laughs> it, adds, it adds a realism to the film that uh, is important when heightening horror. Because if you had this in more of like a fake movie version of of this type of place environment, you know it would be night out. Everything would be highly stylized. Wouldn't it be the right kind of grimy or dirty. And it would probably actually be dirtier in a way where you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to connect with it but seeing like the doll's hand crawl around and start to do stuff it's heightened because there's a realism to the entire area it's it's bright it's bright day out you can actually feel the the chill in the air you could for a second
1: there see that guy's breath as he was walking around his apartment that's a nice touch. Yeah. I don't know if they're filming that on a stage somewhere where they just put it like in a freezer or something. Regardless, it was a good continuity.
2: Yeah, I think Mancini said, like, yeah, it's the kind of thing you'd spend $1,000 putting in after the fact these days. And we just shot where it was cold.
1: (laughs) It's kind of like The Thing, and what a disappointment it is when they're filming scenes that aren't actually in the Arctic. Now, they did actual location filming for The Thing, which is impressive. But then in other parts, they're like, oh, fuck, back to Los Angeles. Let's put down some fake snow and then have people pretend it's not 110 degrees out.
2: Now, could you imagine how terrifying this scene would be if you never see the doll and it's just that kid running around <laughs> saying Chucky? <laughs> it
1: would be scratching their heads for weeks. So uh talking about winter one last time. Uh Catherine Hicks mentioned in one of the commentaries that her mom told her, You have to put a hat on. You're filming in Chicago. It's cold because it was like zero degrees. <laughs> and she insisted, No, I don't want to wear a hat, because if I do, I'll have to wear it for the entire shoot and I'll look silly and pull meth <laughs> of my hair. <laughs> so basically every scene where she's running around outside with no hat on is Really stupid from a local point of view. Like, no, she would have on a super thick hat, earmuffs, and a scarf. For a movie sense it's fine, like it, it plays fine, but you just have to think of the poor woman suffering as she's going around freezing <laughs> to death trying to get these shots.
2: Look at that hair, her ears are fine.
1: <laughs> this is probably like a set, but I mean there are parts where she's actually running around downtown at night,
2: and god damn it in Chicago? Ooh, that's cold. And hey, nothing is sadder than people who have to shoot beach movies in Toronto. <laughs> uh, cabin in
1: the Woods when they all dip in the lake and it was like September and it just snowed like two days before. Movie magic. All of our cast is suffering from hypothermia.
2: <laughs> That's what keeps them all so young. They're always cold. <laughs> That's Being why they're triogenically, stirred, triogenically stored a minute at a time
1: actually did you ever see that there's a procedure to erase fat from the human body by freezing it away that sounds like a mistake yeah some sort of quack science the idea is like you put super cold like clamps on a person where there's fat deposits and it's supposed to help turn the fat into kind of like a frozen slush so it's easier for the body to flush out
2: did you see this in a cure for wellness
1: uh, no, but it seems like that sort of thing. It's an actual like weird procedure that you can get done. That I'm sure costs way too much money and isn't that effective.
3: That seems very really uh, expensive.
1: Yes, although I saw one of my friends in like Thailand had it done once, but uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know what the fuck was going on there. That seems like it was probably
3: uh, under the table. Uh, f- probably in that case. Um, that seems very expensive. I, I guess. I mean, there there is science to. Su- the idea, I guess you can change uh fat to uh brown fat, which does burn and melt away easier uh It's why most people in cold climates tend to be less uh, likely to uh be large and it's harder to get fat stores
0: as someone who has
1: lived in Wisconsin. I have to argue. <laughs> you weigh like wisconsin 90 pounds is different
3: though Wisconsin <laughs> is different you have ex- a lot of cheese, cheese. and beer <laughs> that's,
1: that's the entire north it's just cheese and beer guys it's i like how we said cheese at the corn. same time <laughs> we are the cheeseheads it's our Jeez. big thing
3: cheese
1: <laughs> cheese beer cheese beer cheese beer soup is actually one of our favorite delicacies
2: i you know don't what? even know if you're joking that or is a legit i've heard beer about, cheese, oh.
3: soup is a real thing and you will find it all over the place in wisconsin um as someone from Maryland, uh Wisconsin cheese melted uh with crab very good. Wisconsin cheese is the best cheese. I, I have a lot of pride oh. about our cheese.
1: Let's not go too crazy.
2: Going back to cheese? the movie.
1: This commentary is done. I don't even feel like talking <laughs> about the anymore.
2: We passed the scene, but I have to talk for just a second about the outstanding baby performance that Alex Vincent gives in this movie. Yeah. The fact that that kid can give a creepy, ambiguous kid performance in the first act and then turn on a dime as he does in this movie and it feel natural is amazing to me. You can barely get that kind of performance out of an adult, much less a kid who was six when they were filming.
1: There was a story in the commentary where he was talking about uh, for for his audition, he had to do a line reading that said, uh, she deserved it, she was a bitch. And his mom was in the room, and he didn't want to say the word bitch in front of her. Like, he was he was very freaked out about having to say that. So he kept acting like he was forgetting his line when he got to that part. And eventually, he got so disturbed, he ran out of the set crying. His mom chased after him, and he explained the situation. And then she explained to the producers, like, oh, no, he knows the line, but he's scared to say it in front of me. And they're so convinced by the fact that he fooled them about forgetting the line that he theorizes it's one of the reasons why he was cast. Like, he was just that strong of an actor. <laughs> That's that's pretty good for a kid.
2: Yeah. That must I, I know a lot of adults that aren't that self-aware. <laughs> yeah, and I love like I love that scene we just saw in particular where he turns on Chucky and is legitimately angry. Like, not only is that so good from a screenwriting standpoint, I love how they don't stretch out uh the codependent thing for too long. Also, it's, just, it's cool seeing a six-year-old be that self-aware of what's going on in a film, because yeah. kids are normally portrayed as so stupid. Like This is one of the most realistically written kids in movie history.
1: And back to the current film, what a wonderful scare that is. The slow realization... <laughs> There's no batteries in the doll. The call's coming from inside the house. It's so simple, And then he just so. poops whoop, whoop, under the table. Exactly. When the doll drops, it rolls under the table. Oh, it's just perfect. It's so
2: unnatural. <laughs> yeah, you can really understand why it was, was not on the table until the absolute last minute that he just had Chucky's voice at the end. They, they could have spun an entire self-contained film just out of this Chucky doing shit.
1: Uh, they get so much mileage out of this. When's the doll gonna move? When's it gonna happen?
3: Oh, the audience seeing this for the first time in the theater had to be on fucking pins and needles. It's every time you're touching the doll and shit.
2: Yeah, there's a story that, uh... The producer David Kirshner, who's like been Don mancini's friggin bFF throughout this entire series uh, he's uh, is a story told about going to see the first showing, and the movie didn't have a premiere, so he just had to buy out like a local theater and sneak in <laughs> and uh, whenever uh leave us the the babysitter is bumping the doll around, everyone in the audience went. <laughs> and that stuck with him forever because that's what you're supposed to do during Child's Play 5, not the first act of Child's Play <laughs> <laughs> He was so amazed that people had already understood what the movie was that quickly.
3: And it and, and seems like well, the, the f- reveal that just happened should go immediately into Ed Wood territory, but there's been such perfect build up and structure to Chucky that when you have him finally scream and actually start attacking on camera it's it just works somehow like it shouldn't but it works and the fact that they have him like biting and doing yeah. like such visceral stuff and like that scream he gives out really sells it Soft, which I appreciate They actually ramps it up really fast into that yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. All of
1: a sudden, it's 10,000% Chucky. You bitch, you filthy slut. And he bites her. Plus, it helps the, the puppetry work on the face is really good. That is a really, that really, really well done yeah. effect.
2: Yeah, Chucky's just real when he's talking. Like, you don't even think of it. I think it's one of the genius things about making it a Cabbage Patch doll is he just does stuff one of those dolls would do if they could move their face. <laughs> like your brain doesn't really register it as an effect it's just real
3: yeah chucky I will probably go down in cinematic history through all of the films as one of the best practical effects ever put on screen chucky's just real throughout all of his appearances they were very smart in the way they did it too the the doll itself
1: moves in a bit of a herky-jerky manner which makes perfect sense because they're running it with wires and animatronics and all that kind of stuff, uh, pneumatics. They, they don't have another choice. They can't make him move like a human being would. But that goes along with it being a supernatural doll. You can go nod your head and go, that makes sense. He shouldn't move nice. It'd be like if a zombie was able to walk perfectly into a room. He'd be like, well, he's all fucked up. He's dead. That's not right. And to help accent that, whenever there's a human playing Chucky in a Chucky costume, they'd have this stunt double move in that same herky jerky manner, just like it was being done with animatronics and wires. Yeah. That continuity helps sell the entire effect. And it's better that they went with something that looks obviously fake than if they had gone to the extra effort of trying to smooth everything out.
2: Oh that's why the uh the first Terminator is such an impressive stop motion effect, because it just looks like what that thing would look like if it would were real. So your brain yeah. doesn't see the movement as unnatural.
1: It's one of those weird film paradoxes where you have to lean into how fake something is to make it feel real. <laughs> if you make it feel real, it feels fake.
3: It's it's a weird tug a tug of war type thing. There's so many examples of it in filmmaking. <laughs> a, gr- a great example to me is the E.T. special edition where you get CGI E.T., <laughs> the, pu- the puppet ET has a weight to it that moves in a certain way, where you could see like, okay, ET is a creature built, yeah, has a certain type of build, and the weight kind of settles where it settles. So yeah, he'd probably kind of lumber around very slightly in that way, and then you get to CGI ET, and he's moving around perfectly. Like th- there's no weight to him. There's no distribution of weight. Whenever he's moving, he's just perfect, and he's speedy, and it falls apart.
2: Yep. Yeah. I got another example. The difference in stop motion between Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride, where it's too fluid, and it just seems like yeah, you're watching stop motion, not like you're watching creatures move around in a space.
1: I'm pretty. I'm pretty good with where we're at with current day CGI uh, for stop motion, like the smoothing they do, but. Everyone has their opinions. Uh, One thing I will say, though, the Child's Play remake mostly does a pretty good job blending the practical effects with CGI effects throughout the movie. Until later on in the film, there's a couple spots where the Chucky doll is all CGI and just jumps across the room at people. And boy, every time they do that, all the goodwill they built up throughout the rest of the movie kind of goes out the window. It's like, oh, this is a bad effect. You were doing pretty good before. Even if you just taken a plastic doll and chucked it at the actor and then cut around it, it would have been better than doing an all-CGI version. I think the guy scary, who threw but... the
2: ball in Phantasm. <laughs> that worked!
1: That does always amaze me. If you look at movies from the 80s, where are like, oh, we have no budget. How are we going to do this? Uh, I'm going to take a vampire bat and just chuck it across the room and it's going to be on <laughs>
2: wires. Fuck it. All right. And then That works. Also unrelated, but Mike, do you always feel like Spawn's about to show up in this scene? Yeah, I like to
3: think he's uh, fighting Sigor right now, so I'll see what have would have saved them. And again, we have a movie that's about a killer doll,
1: which in itself is a pretty wacky juxtaposition between innocence and murder. But then we have this movie where the sweet mom is trying to find out information to save her son. And she almost gets raped by a hobo. There's, like, some surprisingly really grim, horrible stuff happening in this movie.
2: I'm fascinated by the weird, like, almost mythological approach they take to her getting the doll from this horrible, bedraggled, rapist, homeless man. Like, it's almost like the peddler giving Frank the box at the beginning of Hellraiser. Like, yeah. you no, know, it's an accursed doll, so it has to come from an accursed merchant.
1: <laughs> Clean hands can't touch this thing.
2: It has to be from a toy store that was struck by lightning and destroyed.
1: I kind of, I like that idea for horror mythology. You know, it's kind of like there has to always be a crazy old guy to warn the young teens that doom is coming. <laughs> If there's an object of evil that will be handed to a family of innocents, it has to come from someone who looks like they they are an extension of the evil. It's It's kind of like, you know, slowly raising the temperature in a pool. You get a little bit evil to throw you off? Like, no, you shouldn't take that doll. That guy clearly looks like he's going to murder you and eat your guts. No, you took the doll. Okay, well, now you actually have a murderous doll. Things are getting worse. You had your chance to back out. You didn't take it.
2: You participated in capitalism.
1: <laughs> the the original forms of the movie seemed like they were going to lean into those ideas a little bit stronger. Mancini said originally when he thought this up, he wanted to have a movie that was all about capitalism and consumerism. You know, classic 80s Reagan themes. And we still get chunks of that, like all the commercialization of Chucky at the start of the movie but we we kind of get away from it for a more standard kind of slasher detective story. Which is a bit of a shame, because there's a lot of area to run with in that, especially in this time period.
3: Yeah, the commercialization, Reaganism, capitalism stuff is, is peppered in throughout the first three films. But it seems like after the uh, Bloody Buddy uh, version of the script, Kind of went by the wayside. They settled into this more home life, family, personal horror. Yeah, like I, there's I a lot of different themes being played with with uh, this film, and the first three in particular.
1: Yeah, I think two dives more into the consumerism angle. Yeah, uh, just just the fact that they bring Chucky back and refurbish him for some yes. goddamn
2: reason is <laughs> pretty telling. Yeah, two and three are very fuck corporate America, which is delightful.
1: That really, to me, would be the backbone of this series, because you have an evil doll. To be fair, the voodoo kind of skirts around liability belonging to the good guy company, but...
2: I would love
3: to see that in court.
2: (laughs) Sir, that doll was corrupted by a voodoo curse.
1: This is another one of those movies where it would be fascinating to see all the police work that has to go on afterwards. Because there are several bodies. There's a police detective who swears a doll tried to murder him. A family that says the same thing. They had a kid that was in a psych ward until he escaped, and now they're saying, oh, he's innocent. There is a lot of stuff you have to explain away with paperwork and a lot of collateral damage.
3: That's why I always liked him, too. Oh, the mother? uh, She had to go into a psych ward because she says a doll tried to kill everybody.
1: Yeah, it's one of those sad things where it's like you don't really want to focus on the aftermath because it probably isn't going to be happy. Hey, remember back in the days where cars had cigarette lighters? <laughs>
2: so they should have done, like, that one a nameless cop and kept their mouth shut. <laughs> also, going back to, the, uh, to Mancini's original Blood Buddy script, that is something I'm a little conflicted on because, well, I do fucking love that premise and would have really liked for them to go in that direction with the uh, Child's Play reboot if they were going to make it as dis- different as possible. Gonna, there is something, like, in the initial setup that I kind of feel may have just ended up being another hor- 80s horror movie. like the, Things like uh, the mother being, like, the PR person for the good guy company who brings home an experimental good guy doll. Things like that. It's like, like that stuff's interesting, but... The approach they took in the final movie is so much more original, I feel.
3: Yeah. Like,
2: it feels very atypical of 80s horror, whereas Blood Buddy was very much influenced by just what was going on in horror at the time.
1: You hear about Blood Buddy, and it's like, what a wacky concept. Like, Andy's mixing blood with a doll that bleeds, and it makes a sentient doll?
3: It's a, it's very interesting. I'd, I'd love to see it made in some form. It's a it's such a stronger satire. It's almost Robocop levels of nah. of eighties satire or American satire. And I, I like the stronger the stronger almost psychological horror elements of the doll being um Andy's uh subconscious anger and all that. It plays in some interesting family themes. I think, but it's such a, it's such a different beast and it's so much mm. more arch. It seems almost more like a brood kind of thing, but a
2: little, yeah, similar.
1: very much so. So before we get past this amazing set piece, I, I just have to talk about the fact that I, I love what they did here. What should be very silly, like a doll trying to attack a police officer in a car works perfectly. I, I love the claustrophobic setting here. The upside-down car, he has a hard time moving around. He can't see anything. He never knows where the doll is going to strike from. The loss of control the detective has when Chucky, like, starts messing with the accelerator. It seems like a situation where he has no power, which is perfect for this kind of movie, because you would think, you know, it's a killer doll. All you have to do is pick him up and throw him out a window, and you win. Yeah. Trying to find ways to negate the inherent strength of man versus doll a <laughs> struggle as
2: old as time it's old
1: as time I, I think they did just a fantastic job crafting a really unique exciting set piece they could have just set that in the house somewhere where Chucky's running up and down stairs and the detective is firing into hallways but uh, that's kind of samey from everything else out there that was great seeing the car accident the flip Him not knowing where Chucky is, but the knife coming at him from different sections of the broken windshield, or even the part where the knife is reaching up through the seat cushions.
2: Well, Chucky's got way more Freddy in him than Jason. Yeah. Like, he's one of the few trickster slashers who's all about being sneaky and making shit happen rather than just stabbing people. Yeah, you suddenly walk up next to the guy and slice their head off. Okay, do you guys agree that this might be the most fascinating goddamn thing in the movie and even the series that Chucky drew that?
1: This is another pretty strong link over to uh, the the Candyman series. Chicago and scary voodoo rituals and weird murals. God. Her expression there, too. Like she's going to cry just looking at the paintings. So good.
2: This is the one moment, like, in even the entire series, you get to see what the hell the inside of Charles Lee Ray's head was. Yeah. Like, no, he's not just a strangler. Like, in his head, he views himself as some kind of glorious god of death that is going to reshape the world according to, to his law. And then
1: he spends the next movie trapped in a doll. I somehow forget the scene happens, even though I've seen this movie many times, because it just seems so weird that there's a voodoo doll of the guy who theoretically made his own voodoo doll. Like, he yeah, was they prepared for this at all.
2: Yeah, Mancini relentlessly makes fun of this scene and will for the rest of his life.
1: It's, like, pretty brutal stuff, really. It just, <laughs> Even though we've had voodoo throughout the movie, this feels like a step too far.
2: It's a great scene. It just makes no fucking sense if you think about it for five seconds. It'd be a great scene for, like, a different horror movie. I will say, I was very glad they brought some of the voodoo stuff back in uh, the newer movies. Like, with Chucky body swapping and stuff. because It has always bugged me that Chucky knows voodoo stuff as per his origin. Right, which yeah. isn't even, like, retconned or anything. He's He brings up the voodoo shit a lot, but they never do anything with that.
1: Yeah. There's a whole bunch of uh, different avenues they could go down if they wanted to embrace the voodoo. So I am glad that in Cult of Chucky, they really lean into it more.
2: And Chucky is technically a, a brilliant mastermind villain, so it does work.
3: Chucky is one of the more interesting, like, horror icons out there. And that's weird to say about a killer doll. Like he had, he's had an arc. He's changed over films. You've gotten to track his personality and what kind of person he is.
2: He got married, had kids. He,
3: he has he he's more than just a slasher. He's actually a, a thinking character who has plans and plots. <laughs> he's an technically L. L. a
2: sorcerer. Okay. <laughs> And this has always been my favorite thing about the character. Do you agree he's really the only slasher who acts like an actual serial killer? Yes. Like, with all of the arcane delusions of grandeur and the screaming rage and the, like... This is what actual serial killers sound like whenever you listen to them in interviews. (laughs) Like, they're not really calm, cool, and collective most of the time. They're often just gibbering rage cases
1: (laughs) or silent so the the kind of golden age of slashers is is really defined kind of as the period between 1978 and 1984 so i think that's kind of why people forget that chucky is one of like the major pantheon characters everyone thinks freddy jason michael myers but goddammit, Child's Play has had a long series. It's run for over 30 years now on the same continuity. It's still ongoing. They haven't had to do any like major recasts or anything.
2: Even the reboot uh, with Curse of Chucky is still in continuity and it's just a yeah. total reboot.
1: Yeah, exactly. That all flows together. There is a new reboot, but that yeah, honestly, the reboot is good. But it's one of those things where it doesn't need to be child's play. Like, they could have just tweaked two or three things throughout that movie, and no one would have even noticed that it was supposed to be child's play.
3: It's child's play to be dicks towards Mancini, essentially. Yeah, kinda. That's why it exists.
2: And even that's, like, more of a rights-holders thing than, like, what anybody making the movie, I imagine, had in mind.
1: Yeah, there's a weird split for that. So the, the first film one we're currently watching uh was distributed by mgm but then mgm sold the rights to universal right before child's play 2 began production and i think universal has held on to the rights for all the child's play and chucky movies since then the reboot that just came back is is another mgm movie it's like an orion picture so i'm I'm assuming that's why they did it they probably had all the rights to it so they're like okay well you guys have the universal rights we have the MGM rights. I guess we can have two concurrent series and they just have to have enough differences where we're not stepping on each other's toes.
2: I like how it ended up being a uh, night of the living dead return of the living dead split.
1: Yeah. I, I've heard rumors and these are on the internet. So you got to take a giant grain of salt hope. that the, the split for rights really breaks down to Mancini has the right to the name Chucky. So he can keep making things with Chucky in the name, but not child's play. And he got the supernatural elements whereas MGM managed to retain the idea of a killer doll. Obviously, they both have killer dolls, but Mancini has to lean into the supernatural side of it, and MGM has to lean into basically just the concept and doesn't do supernatural, which, Can I just... spoiler for the reboot, the whole thing is not supernatural. There's no voodoo.
2: Can I just say how cool it is that Don Mancini owns the rights to voodoo? To voodoo.
1: <laughs> Again, I heard this online, so it's very likely all bullshit. Someone just made up... But, I mean, it kind of lines up with what we've seen. The The reboot doesn't have any supernatural aspects. Uh, they've stopped using the child's play name after a
2: while. Also, if uh, you folks at home were wondering why uh, you just witnessed such a powerful and realistic scene of a child weeping, that's because Tom Holland made that kid cry.
1: I think he cried a couple of times, like, on set. Apparently once when Chucky was on fire... He uh he was friends with the stunt actor who's playing Chucky and he didn't want to see him lit on flame because that was just traumatizing for a child to see. Like hey, no, he's small like fire. me. I don't want to see my friend burn alive.
3: Oh god, the movement of that doll jumping up on that bed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what I was talking about earlier. They do a great job mimicking what the doll's funky movement should be.
2: I think the only thing they really couldn't replicate was him running, which is why that one shot uh during the cat and mouse scene is kinda weird. Yeah, when he has to do quick, quick motions, it, it the illusion falters. But they
1: don't show those in full. So you can you can get away with it.
3: I feel like there's gonna be a gremlin attack in here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Chucky roll is seems to remove. Hit the ground, roll.
3: It's the one thing he can do.
2: (laughs) It is weird to think in seven movies, Chucky hasn't gotten more signature moves and weapons. He's still an improviser. Which I guess is kind of the point.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, they did really push his funky voodoo knife in this one.
2: (laughs) I do love his weird voodoo knife.
1: It's even on That's the uh, Blu-ray selection menu that I have. Like, there's a, that dumb voodoo knife pops up and points at the section you're trying to
2: watch. Which still just looks like a knife that would belong to a toy. It looks very <laughs> plastic.
1: It looks very fake.
2: Oh, for thing... years, I always thought that was just a toy knife he picked up, but I think it was only the last viewing I realized. That was supposed this to be it from a G.I. Joe set.
3: That... <laughs> Another, um... Unique thing this movie does, um, you don't see very often a kid Andy's age actually actively defend himself and fight the monster. Yeah. Andy's got plans. He's like a little Rambo.
2: I mean, he's not doing shit for this guy. No,
1: he's not helping that dude at all.
2: He was creepy.
3: Yeah, that guy was probably a pedophile. It's okay. Chucky's a hero.
1: I don't know if this is how mental equipment works.
3: It really is a brutal fucking kill. I've never appreciated it enough.
1: I, I like how his face just randomly burns. Like, apparently it's just, his skull is on fire and his skin is going with
2: it. Yeah, while we're all admiring the artistry of this movie, can I just say we were this close to having this directed by Charles Band. What a world. Instead, he gave us Puppet Master, so that worked out best for everybody. God, could you imagine a full moon having the rights to child's play? What a nightmare world that would be. <laughs> Just
3: filmed in <laughs> Charles Band's basement.
2: We like s- that, that would have started with Bride of Chucky and then gotten sillier from there.
3: I was going to say, we would still have like seven child's play
1: movies in the same franchise, but <laughs> they would be not great. Chucky versus Nazis
3: would be pretty great, though. I would watch that.
2: Oh, now we're getting into uh, Action Andy. He's going full Home Alone. <laughs> you know, I think that's one of the many reasons that this franchise is so mega popular with younger audiences. But I remember whenever my niece was far too young to be watching movies like this, <laughs> her favorite film series in the world was Child's Play. And Obviously, like, there's the attraction of the killer doll, but I think the real kicker is in these first three movies, you just get to see a kid fight a monster. Yeah. And not just run, actually fight the monster like he's a survivor girl. It's his
1: movie. It's only right that the kid should get to fight the monster. Granted, this was, like, an R-rated movie, so it wasn't like actual kids were going to see the film and be empowered by it, but, you know, on home. They
2: sneak in. Yeah. So one thing I do wish was kept over from the original two-hour silly cut was the subplot of Andy uh, struggling with uh, the loss of his father, with him stepping out and it developing unhealthy attachments and living in a fantasy world, which is why they don't initially believe him when he starts talking about Chucky. I think if you had kept some of that in with the first act, you'd have, a bit more oomph to his character arc of him finally like getting real and cutting the cord between you know, wanting uh, surrogate father figures from the television to fight his battles for him.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kellen Chucky's symbolic at that point. Speaking of symbolisms,
1: man, it's just like the classic final girl hiding in the closet. We got a Laurie Strode yeah. moment going on. I, I love that works. shot so much.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Ah! Chucky's ass, eh? He does look like like an old
2: Easter there.
3: Yeah, he does. (laughs)
2: Everyone's
3: favorite knife. (laughs) I don't think that's real. No.
2: I was so confused as a kid. I I thought that was one of his tools, and like, because Chucky was alive it magically became a real knife?
1: (laughs) I'm a real knife now! Oh boy!
2: I am surprised they did not capitalize that in the sequels, by the way, like having him use his toys.
1: Just like a fine old girl, Andy trips a lot for no reason. <laughs> Although in the commentary he was joking and he said, uh, I-, I think that was intentional because I ran a lot faster than Chucky, so I had to string him along by falling a couple times to get him to chase me at the right speed. <laughs> Now, really, if they wanted to make this movie more hip, they should get Chucky a pair of those shoes, uh, like wheelies, you know, where they have the wheels built into the shoe. God, he'd be unstoppable. Just imagine Chucky comes sliding through the hard floor kitchen with a knife in his hand, just sliding in to kill. Hey, look at me. I'm radical. (laughs)
3: Brad Dourif saying that would be a lot of fun.
2: With his receding hairline.
3: You know, Brad Dourif's a great actor, but he can really rest on his laurels with fucking Chucky. Doesn't <sighs> need I mean, the rest a, of this stuff.
2: What a fucking gift to genre cinema Dourif is. He was the Gemini killer, Chucky, and Wormtongue.
1: <laughs> Plus, the, he's one of the best parts of the Halloween remake. Oh, he yeah, he's too? the anchor. Yeah, yeah, he puts in
2: great work there. He gets to be the Sarandon in that movie. He does. Oh no, voodoo. As a Chicago cop, I've seen this many times.
1: Uh, not that old voodoo, Lightning.
2: I do like the implication throughout the series that Chucky can just make it storm by talking. (laughs) Like, I want to see him weaponize that like he's Shazam.
1: Oh god. With his wheelies, he'd really be unstoppable.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just wheeling around, calling forth the lightning like Thor. Fucking rolling Thor here.
1: So earlier last week, when I was prepping for this, I got in from Scream Factory, their Universal Monster Classics, Volume 1. And uh, I was watching Black Cat, the 1934 movie that's the first one to pit Bela Lugosi against Boris Karloff. And in that movie, they're talking about what an achievement it was for film and how deliberate the camera work is, because every once in a while, the camera pans between actors and moves around and has focus in different spots than where you'd expect. Because this was 1930s, like, They just got sound, they just moved away from silent films where, you know, basically you just plant the camera and everyone acts as if they're on a stage for people dozens of yards away. It's amazing to think that from 34 to 86, what a huge difference there is. This is a low budget movie and kind of considered schlock, but you watch the camera, it's constantly doing these coy little moves around, panning through different areas, teasing you, looking underneath areas. There's there's actually some really clever camera work going on here, and it's just impressive to see that even in what's considered low cinema, the language has evolved so much over you know the the 50 year period between something like Frankenstein and Child's Play. Yeah,
2: I believe there was a moment. I, I believe we have passed this shot, but a moment during the filming where you see Chucky on the elevator from below, and you just see his silhouette walking. And I believe that was the point where David Kirschner and Tom Holland looked at each other and said, oh, we're filming a real movie.
1: (laughs) There's a shot I'm in love with where the camera kind of pans into a door and then it cuts to another pan like moving inside of the house. And I just really love how those two go together, like this creeping fear, like we're closing in on Chucky. It's almost something out of The Shining, (laughs) like this weird Kubrick slow draw in, which is hilarious because it's for a killer doll movie. But it just goes to show you how much care was really put into something that could have easily just been slapdash.
2: (sighs) Also, hey, how Freddy is defeated once and for all in New Nightmare.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I also like how Chucky's defeated
2: in a way you can only defeat a fucking doll. (laughs) (laughs) The important thing is she gets to chuck him in the fireplace.
1: Goddamn, Andy, you were useful like one scene ago. Get your shit together.
2: Also, going back to that uh, story between Kirshner and Holland, I love how uh, Kirshner tells that story and then mentions, yeah, this is back when we were still in Chicago and getting along. Uh, yeah, I may have had to physically fight some people later on during the production, and I'm not proud of that. <laughs> and I could not find him detailing anywhere the time he kicked Tom Holland's ass over (laughs) (laughs) child, But that happened, and we just have to speculate on that for the rest of our lives.
1: You gotta make up your own headcanon there. God, the amount of time it takes for Chucky to burn to death is actually pretty disturbing.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
2: Chucky's a goddamn And We get... (laughs)
1: But this is the end friend line. And then Chucky for like two minutes just screaming and flopping around on fire.
3: Screaming, interacting with other objects in the room, which you rarely see uh, when people mm-hmm. are set on fire in movies. Which, And that's what I love about this. Seeing so, the I fire catch Andy, other things.
2: I love how Andy gets a Schwarzenegger line to go out on.
1: <laughs> so perfect. Apparently, that was a hell of a thing for them to film. They had to do a lot of takes just to get the reading right. Who would have guessed kids are not great at bitter one-liners?
2: I was seeing him try to say that during the rehearsal tapes. is hilarious. By the way, if you've never seen the fucking rehearsals for Child's Play, Durif is there walking around on his knees doing the entire movie as Chucky.
1: Oh, really? Like, if really? you've
2: ever wondered... Yeah, if you've ever wondered what Duriff looks like doing Chucky as himself, but still interacting with all the characters, seek this out. It's fucking... Fascinating to watch. Oh, that's wow, so cool. Wow, I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'd never man. seen it until I found it on the uh, special features for uh, the God. 2008 DVD release. God, this
1: this burnt Chucky, it just makes me want to throw Look up. at
3: that. That's
1: incredible. God
2: moves.
1: The way he lurches at people, the way he can only see his one Crypt Keeper eye. Just, I can just imagine the smell of like that burnt plastic. Everything about him is repulsive to me. I absolutely love this design. His little metal finger bones poking out through his burnt plastic skin.
2: Yeah, Monster Chucky is such a great look. I'm kind of bummed that isn't just what he looked like for the rest of the series.
3: Yeah, like oh, that fucking skeleton. Ugh. Uh, so, folks at
1: home, if you don't own the Child's Play movies, they're they're incredibly cheap. Like they're just trying, they're constantly just trying to get them out there. <laughs> you can buy all of the original movies right now on Blu-ray in a collector's pack for $20. Like, there, there's no excuse to not have all the Child's Play movies. Uh, if you really want to get into more specials, the first film has been released by Scream Factory as a collector's edition. I don't know what's on that edition because I'm too cheap to buy it again because I probably have like eight versions of Child's Play by now because they release a new movie like every year and I have to rebuy the collection. But still, that's a pretty good deal. Do yourself a favor. Go buy all the Child's Play movies and try and rewatch them. You're going to have a lot of fun.
2: I will warn you if you are picking up the twenty dollar series set, at least uh the original does not have the same special features that the two thousand eight DVD did. Yeah, for sure. Go for the, the newest edition. So I love Chucky getting blown away like he's maniac cop. <laughs> <laughs> the heart Osborne! The heart now that I think about it, like I, I mentioned them before briefly, but this feels like a movie Larry Cohen would have made if he saw the script, doesn't it?
1: They would need a different Larry Cohen. If he did this, it would be all New York. <laughs> that is true. There would be—I I actually believe there would be an entirely different feel to this movie if Larry Cohen did it. Not that that'd be a bad thing; it'd probably be a pretty fun movie. Sarandon would be the main character. Yes, exactly. He'd be
2: solving the Chucky murders.
1: Yeah. We'd get like three shots of Chucky, everything else would be point of view because it'd be too expensive to do the doll the entire time otherwise.
3: But it would be fascinating. Oh, it'd be a really interesting movie. I just, it wouldn't be this child's play in any way. And it would really double down on the economic stuff.
1: This guy would be exactly the same though. Mustache yeah. Cop would would just be Mustache Cop. I exactly love that cop. 100% the same way.
2: Although, let's be honest, Michael Moriarty would play Sirrington's role. What if he was Chucky? I could actually see that, and I could see him giving a interesting performance with that weird ass voice of his. I could, yeah, in an alternate universe, I could see all of that coming together. He puts on the southern accent like he's Mo. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I kill, I always want Mo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just imagining Chucky with that voice stabbing and saying, Mo, Mo, Mo.
2: <laughs> Where's tiny southern Chucky? That's what I want to see. <laughs>
1: We're turned to Chucky's lot.
2: So I, want, I feel it's very important to point out that in the silly cut, uh, the mom shouts from off screen, Don't touch it. There'll be a sequel.
0: <laughs> that can only
1: work in like Scream. The characters have to be conscious of the fact that horror movies exist throughout the entire thing. You've got to play with that for it to work. And even then, you're kind of robbing the frights for the meta-commentary and
2: jokes. Oh, nothing is more awkward than seeing a horror movie from the wrong period that thinks it's at the crest of a wave and it's time to get silly, but it's not. Yep.
3: I love how this just keeps going. Oh, it's like the end of Hot Fuzz. This
1: is one of those endings where it's like, why why is this still going on?
2: Listen, I love that the head and the body have two separate consciousness.
1: <laughs> They're team working.
2: Yeah, that way, head.
3: I don't really play with just taking Chucky's parts and putting other Chucky parts onto him and just creating a series of Chucky's. Which you could do based on the fucking movie logic.
2: He does have that knife arm that time, so nothing's off the table. Yeah. (laughs) Ridiculous.
1: The top death for the doll, the clutching hand. I think he's trying to give him the finger, but I can't tell.
3: What sells it so much, though, is seeing a doll get shot and blood splatter out.
2: (laughs) That is really one of the best conceits of this franchise, that Chucky still bleeds. And gets fucked up. Like, if you didn't have that, I don't think the character would land at all. Like, he would just be a doll to people. There's something about the fact that Chucky gets pissed off when people throw him around because he feels pain. And when he gets hurt, he actually gets hurt. Like, even killers like Freddy and Jason don't have that humanity to them, which is weird because it's Chucky.
1: Freddy is a weird case. I I recently saw Freddy's uh, Revenge... On, on theaters and there's moments where Freddy is invulnerable to pain and other moments where like someone hits him in the groin and he's like, oh! oh yeah, you get weird blends where Freddy only feels pain when it's convenient.
2: It's Yeah, it's very inconsistent depending on the who's making it. He, Freddy is either a masochist who loves pain or just a dude. It could switch scene to
3: scene as well. <laughs> there, there's a lot of there's squishy logic when it comes to Freddy. And the the logic was very clear in in the first film that he's a god in the dream world and you can hurt him in the real world. Mm -hmm. It's very simple and immediately just threw it out. Well, a different team came in for two. And, you know, you kind of had different groups moving in and out as the thing goes on. I mean, in Dream Warriors, they built it up in an interesting way, but other movies, he's just getting his ass kicked in the dream world by no one in particular.
1: Yeah, I will say... that's one of the best parts about the Child's Play series. It's more or less the same creative team for this movie and the sequels. Until you yeah, yeah. get to the remake, it was the same concentrated group of folks. So the continuity stays pretty solid. It's it's impressive to see. It's something you only get, like, maybe in Phantasm. And even then, Phantasm is so goddamn hard to understand, it doesn't really matter.
2: <laughs> yeah, that fascinates me so much, because... It's the original that has the least involvement from Mancini. Like most of what we see comes from John Lafia and Tom Holland. Yet instead of being, uh, instead of bristling at having so much rewritten, other than the voodoo stuff, Mancini has gone fucking ham on their version of Child's Play and adopted it as his own, which I think is really cool. Yeah. It would have been so easy to just go back whenever he was able to solo write the second one and just be like, no, we're doing my child's play. Right? But he acknowledged that, no, they made a much better movie than what I wrote.
1: That's the thing. Oh, this works. I'm going to go with what works. It's a smart move, and thank God he did. If we can go back to the idea of Nightmare on Elm Street for a second here, this, this little bit of history fascinates me. Back in 2008, Mancini and Duraff came forward and said, we're going to reboot Child's Play. And they said they're going to stick... Pretty close to the original concept, but they wanted to make it a little darker. And then Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th remakes came out and basically both tanked after their initial weekends. Friday the 13th, people remember, had an amazingly strong opening weekend and then made $0 a second weekend, like it just disappeared. Nightmare on Elm Street, I think, just did poorly all around. Those were the two big profile remakes for horror movies, and once those suffered, a lot of stuff downstream got chit canned including the remake of Child's Play. Eventually... Five years later, we get Curse of Chucky, which honestly is probably for the best because the series is, in my opinion, just getting better as it goes along.
2: It turns out direct-to-video was a fucking gold mine for this franchise. Yeah, yeah. they can get
1: weird with it, and they can stick with the continuity. Uh, they can bring back original characters from earlier in the series. They can they can do a lot of fun stuff with it now. So it's it's kind of a blessing we didn't have that remake happen when it did. So who knows how that would have turned out? Although. It would have been interesting to see Dorf do another big screen, big budget version of this film. Now that he's already had the voice pretty much honed.
2: Oh, what's bad about the 2008 release I've got is during the credits, that's all Mancini talks about. And the very (laughs) last thing they say before leaving is, go see the remake. (laughs)
1: Like,
2: Like, oh, they were so
1: excited. But again, things really honestly worked out are better.
2: Best. Yeah.
1: Because we got an ongoing series for Chucky that's pretty good. I really we're st- enjoy. We're uh, still
2: getting a show from them somehow. I'm really yeah. curious what that's going to be with there's, body hopping Chucky.
1: There's a, yeah, a Child's Play mini series coming at some point once they get a, a, I'm assuming a streaming service lined up. I'm pretty excited about that, and it's a great way to continue the series. Plus, we got the reboot here, which was way more fun than I expected. I, I honestly went in with very low expectations and I gotta admit I was wrong. They they made a fun movie that's like a, a kind of a mean gremlins type comedy with a lot of gore. So we get the, most, uh, we get the best of both worlds there. That, that's it. You gotta make room in your heart for both child's plays. Go support the original, but hey, uh the new one's a lot of fun. You're gonna you're gonna enjoy it I think if you go with a couple friends.
2: Thank God they use two different names.
3: Yes. <laughs> and goddamn Throughout the entire expanse of history, one of the longest running film franchises of all time with a single continuity is going to be Mother Fucking Chucky.
2: And it's like this in Star Trek.
3: I can't wait for
1: Chucky versus Phantasm. That's going to be a fun, fun crossover. I can see that.
2: Well, oh, it turns out he got that voodoo from the Red Planet.
3: Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, fucking leave it the tall man to get rid of puppetry.
2: Coming this July,
1: Ash versus Jason versus Freddy versus Puppet Master versus Chucky versus someone give me more monsters. They all gotta be in it. You
2: leave me (laughs) out of this. He just walks in on Pinhead in the shower. Get out of hell. I'm retired these days. Oh god, that's a premise for a movie. It's Predators, but instead of warriors from our world, it's movie monsters. <laughs> How did I get here? I heard you say
1: that instead of Warriors, I heard Warios, like the uh, Mario anti-hero. <laughs>
2: oh, it's just all villains from fiction?
1: I just enjoyed my version more where it kind of swarthy Italian men just going at it.
2: Just Pinhead, Wario, the <laughs> ma- Phantom of the Opera.
1: <laughs> the Phantom of the Paradise.
3: My god, Waluigi is so thin you could stick the entirety of him
2: inside of you. And then Waluigi hands him a single rose.
3: Oh, this is creepy now. Where'd you even pull that from?
2: Oh god, he's attacking me with his psychonetic powers. You're a strange
3: character.
1: And... ten more minutes. Cody, where else can you find box office pulp? If you're looking for box office pulp, why... You can find us on our very own website, www.boxofficepulp.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, and Twitter, where we occasionally say nice things to other people and and sometimes reblog funny comics because Twitter's got a lot of those. They're fun. Hey. Anyways, look up Box Office Pulp and you'll find us. Go ahead, uh, like, share, leave a review. Please, please, please give us money. We're so poor.
3: Just send us money in the mail. Just, yeah, just write box office pulp on an envelope and send it to Santa Claus. He'll get it to us. We're tight with Santa. Also, be on the lookout for our next Child's Play Commentaries.
2: Oh, <gasps>
1: We're doing more of these? I'm sorry, we're we're bypassing the fact that Mike said we're tight with Santa, which I, <laughs> I really appreciate as a saying.
2: Can we have that on our cards? Box office pulp, tight with the big man.
3: We're, we're coming up with way too many box office pulp taglines lately. Our business card has 30 of them in a row. Uh,
1: anyways, folks, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon with more Child's Play. That's a wrap.
0: Get the hell out of here. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Buck puppets. This is Box Office Pope Guy, and this has been a Pope Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.